The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat, and it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me, and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. This is very important. You need to do that because later this week, I will be announcing that tickets will be on sale for this year's Bigfoot and Brews, again being held at the Sister Lakes Brewing Company in Dwajak, Michigan. The date for that event is September 9th. Doors will open at 10 a.m. and it will run all day. I have two special guests in mind for you this year, and I think it's going to prove to be even better than it was last year. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure to leave us a five-star rating or an review wherever you can. That's the main way that you guys can help in getting the show out in front of more people. The Uncomfortable Patreon is live, so if you're interested in helping support the show and receive some extra content in the form of all regular episodes being ad-free and the two new video series, A Little Uncomfortable and Uncomfortable Afterthoughts, Head over to patreon.com slash uncomfortablepodcast770 and see if any of the content levels there interest you. You can also support at redcircle.com slash uncomfortable slash donations if that's something that interests you. 
Thanks to all of you for your support. I could not do this without you. Uncomfortable welcomes BetterHelp as our newest sponsor. Please give that ad a listen about midway through the first half of this episode. In that, there will be a promo link where you can get 10% off your first month of services. Mental health is so important now more than ever. The link for Better Helps 10% off, the Patreon page, Red Circle, and our Discord server will all be in the show notes below. Look to Instagram and Facebook for that announcement. Don't forget, it will come this week. Now, for tonight's show. I've had the pleasure of endless hours of conversation with these ladies. And when I found out they were doing a book club featuring the Mothman prophecies and then additional books by John Keel, I asked about the possibility of doing a deep dive into one of my favorite characters from the UFO landscape. And that person's name is Mr. Indrid Cold. They obliged me. And this is that deep dive. I'm very excited to get into this. I have to say, I did not in any way expect the turn that this took. This is not the same podcast that has been done 40 other times. This is unique. So if you're ready, let's get into it. So, if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to the hot tamales, Miss JJ Rose seven seven seven, Emily, who has been a guest on my show a couple of different times, and I assume will be again, and Sheila, who has not been on the show but who is a regular in our Discord server and our Friday night campfires. These ladies were nice enough to do an inordinate amount of legwork for me. I feel like I have a a staff of uh, researchers working for me. I posed uh, an an interest in a a very central figure that um, came to prominence in the the Mothman prophecies, and it was a very interesting figure. Um, shrouded in mystery, a lot of supposition about this person and who he was, what he was, where he was from. And I'm talking about Indrid Cold. And the movie uh, did, did a good job of creating a, a mysterious aura around this gentleman. And then in the, the Hellier series, Indrid Cold became a, a pretty large part of that original um, that original docu-series. He's always interested me. It's a it's a strange it's a strange situation. How he came about, the reports about him. Um, subsequently, throughout the years, he's been labeled as a uh, a Men in Black. He's been labeled as a um, 
the smiling man. He has been reportedly different shades of tan to the dark skin, um, kind of slicked back hair, almost a 1930s or 40-ish looking movie star quality about him. And he's just, he just never goes away. Um, This is not going to be another podcast about the Mothman. It is going to encompass the Mothman story, but this is going to be a deep dive into who was Indrid Cold. So, ladies, you've put a lot of work into this, and I am here to facilitate the conversation, but this is your show, so please tell me what you found. Hey, Eric. Well, first and foremost, I'd just like to let everyone know that this was actually part of your birthday present. Yay, um, <laughs> Right? <laughs> and we were hoping that this was going to be done by your birthday. Um, it was kind of a fortunate, unfortunate, that somehow it got delayed. Uh, we've actually had the majority of the work done since March on this episode. And here we are in mid-June. But the um, timing, but, the timing yeah. couldn't be any more uh, perfect with the the events of this past week as they've unfolded have been quite the birthday present for me. I have Indeed. been, I have been <laughs> waiting. I have been waiting for this stuff to come out for fifty three years, <laughs> and uh, it, it's been. Honestly, it's been a bit of a mind-blowing week um, just to see the (laughs) sheer amount of stuff that has been going on. Um, You know, first the whistleblower, the stuff going on uh, with the the crash out in, um, out west or near you. um, In Vegas. In Vegas. Um, It's just been one thing after another after another. And... Yes. It's it's leading to something. So this is a very timely, uh, for whatever reason, that this got postponed uh, till now. It, it's a perfect timing for it. So, Well, it really is. And I think you're going to actually see some things in this episode that are going to tie to some of the major revelations that have come out um, as of late. So the first thing that I want to make sure that we cover is... Indrid Cold was first talked about back in the 60s via the Mothman Prophecies with John Keel. And then Woodrow Derenberger wrote a book, Visitors from Lanulos. And then his daughter, Tanya Derenberger, also wrote a book, Beyond Lanulos. So that's where the majority of the information that we're going to discuss comes from, straight from the source. On top of all of that, I have made sure, as well as the other ladies, that we've been really listening to what's already been done on this. Because the last thing I want to do is something that everyone's already right. done before to death. That's not. And for that, my... I, I greatly appreciate the effort that you went through. So, so we <laughs> were not just going to be the same thing rehashed. Absolutely, and there's a lot of great podcasts out there. Cryptids of the Corn did, you know, 
banging four hour episode yeah. um, about a lot of it, but I really wanted to find out what was being talked about. And so I think I listened to in total about 11 different podcasts on the subject between injured cold and Mothman prophecies. The one thing that I kept hearing is that a lot of people were lumping in Indrid as the smiling man, and also that Indrid was a man in black. First and foremost, contrary to common belief, <laughs> Indrid was neither of those things. The smiling man actually happened in New Jersey, very far away from Ohio and West Virginia. Um, not even remotely the same as Indrid. The second regarding the men in black, I'm not really sure how that started. There was a Reddit poster that came on some years ago, kind of stirred everything up. It's kind of interesting that a lot of people don't understand that this happened all the way back in the 60s. So this all happened in 1966. And I'm going to let Emily take it away by describing the actual first encounter. Yeah, so according to Woody in the book, uh, Visitors from Beyond Lan Lanulos, the first sighting actually occurred on November 2nd of 1966. Um, he said that around 7 p.m. on Highway 77, Woody was driving home and a car behind him was going fast, so he pulled over and let them go around him. Um, next to him, he sees a large kerosene lamp spaceship that skirted in front of him and forced him to stop uh, because it was blocking the road. Uh, Woody stopped on the side of the road and the spaceship op opened up and out came a man who telepathically told Woody to roll his windows down. Um, he approached the passenger's side window and he telepathically states to him, do not be frightened. You, you can think or speak, whichever is easier for you. And what then the injured... <laughs> do not be afraid. Yes, which ties into uh, the recent... A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. I just had to interject that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's all good. Um, so then Woody asked what he did for a living, and Cold uh, said that he was a searcher, and it didn't really go into any explanation, like, what he meant by that. And then he asked him, what are you called? Um, like, what is your name? And then Indrid stated that his name was Colt, which I find kind of interesting because of the events, you know, at the time the Cold War was happening, which is kind of an interesting little side thing that I thought of. Um, and then Indrid asked Woody, uh, what is a, what, is, what are the lights over there? And he points to like a city and, uh, you know, Woody describes what a city is, and basically Indrid says that it's a gathering. That's what they call it from the planet that he's at. And then, then he tells Woody, I am the same as you. I sleep, breathe, and bleed even as you do. At one point, cold... Sorry. No, no worries. I think that's really important just to make sure that everyone understands that. So this being that looks human, that is talking telepathically is first off saying, don't be afraid of me. And then asking all these strange questions, like he doesn't quite understand human civilization. And then on top of that says, I'm the same as you are. I sleep, I breathe, and I even bleed as you are. Yeah, so, 
you know, I think he does that to try to like ease him a little bit because I, I would be freaked out <laughs> if I was driving home in the middle of the, you know, world and, uh, and there's a spaceship and some strange man in strange clothes come out and starts telepathically communicating to me. So <laughs> it's interesting. Just a normal Tuesday girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, the whole first encounter with, with Indrid, um, by Woody's account is is such a strikingly strange because like literally like the first thing he asks is if he works for a living you know why what the hell are you why are you in the street what are you doing what the hell is that over there what did, yeah what did you just get out of what you are know, you wearing what what are you, you know? wearing what you know um that question to me is just like the strangest thing you could possibly ask this enigma of a man that's standing beside your vehicle. You work for a living? That's so strange. But I guess that kind of calls into everything. This is a weird experience. This is a very strange confrontation. Well, and what's even more interesting is like the follow-up question that Indrid then asked Woody is like, why are you still so scared? But if, if he was giving the uh, implication that he was scared, he wouldn't ask, what do you do for your job? Like, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's also important to state this was 1966 and it's, it's in the South where people typically have these, conversations where they just kind of openly ask each other questions like it's a very familiar-esque type like trying to put you at ease oh what do you do for a living you know what do you call things like it's it's almost like a prototype that was in every single movie of when people would meet during that time frame okay yeah i'll go with that but in real life i don't know i feel like i would I would re react differently, even especially in the sixties. Like it wasn't a common thing for people to be talking about visitors from space that much. And let alone to have that profound of an experience to see the spaceship in front of you and the strange man that's talking to you with his mind and not moving his mouth. And, you know, I, I still think that all the, the mundane pleasantries that would be exchanged, like, I feel like it wouldn't have happened. That's you know, just my my opinion. Was there any indication, like during during the course of the reading and and this specific instance, and and I'll say this not mean not being derogatory towards him, but was was Woody a simple man? Is you know was he was he just a simple good old boy that you know maybe not highly educated or because I've I've always gotten the impression from different different shows, different podcasts, different stories that have been told about this that this guy was kind of just uh, like you said, down south, everything's slower. It's you know, did he seem like a simple man, or I mean, what was Woody's background? What what was he in in life? Well, so Woody actually you know was in the Air Force at one point. 
Um, he was a sewing machine salesman. You know, he had a wife and kids at home. He lived a very happy but simple life. I wouldn't call him simple by education standards, but you know, again, you got to remember the time frame. This is a guy going home from work, and this weird thing happens where he thinks it's a car trying to pass him, and all of a sudden there's a spaceship floating and a man talking in his head. And, you know, telepathy on its own can be kind of a almost calming experience for a lot of people when they encounter it. So I can almost see that he's kind of stunned by it all. Like the shock, I think the shock factor is kicking in. But what's really interesting is, you know, psychologically, when we go into shock or when we're experiencing something shocking, your brain actually clicks on and it remembers things with finite details for most people. And that's, I think, why the detail of this first encounter is so detailed because that shock factor was there and emily's not even done yet with the whole conversation i mean this it keeps going like we're only into just a couple sentences exchanged yeah and basically you know after uh cold asked woody why he was still scared he then advised him to report the whole incident of him meeting Indrid uh, to the local officials and to the police. And, and basically he then left him and said, I'll see you soon. And yeah, two days later on uh, November the 4th, like there he was, Woody was driving with a coworker this time. He wasn't alone on highway seven. He had a tele and he had another telepathic encounter while, while he was driving. Um, what he described this encounter, um, he said that his forehead started having a tingling sensation and what he knew, he just knew like instinctually that cold was wanting to talk to him telepathically. Finally, Woody answered the call, um, and was told that injured ship was over Woody's car and for that he needed to drive carefully. He repeated that a few times, drive carefully. We are following you. Um, not sure not sure when Woody was told by Indrid that he was from the planet Lanulos, but Woody states that he thinks Indrid gave him the wrong coordinates on purpose to keep them safe. Um, Indrid states that he cannot stay on Earth as long as if they do, um, that basically he would become younger. Um, and then... So I felt they, this part was kind of interesting. If he, um, stays, if he stays on Earth... Mm-hmm. Too long. It, too long. He starts to de-age. Correct. And the reason why I'm bringing this up and chiming in is because, Eric, I was just listening to your episode with you and one-on-one the other day as I was kind of re-going over all these notes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, one-on-one talks about in alchemy, there's a supposed dimension where time moves backwards. Yeah, I remember that. And it was one of those moments where, like, I caught it and I went, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And there's so many little things like this that have happened since. And that's why, I mean, the girls and I actually had to make a separate chat just for this, because from when we started reading the books and then just life hitting us with different things and new stories, 
we would go back and forth with all these different thoughts and theories of what was all this? Because there's there's a lot of interesting tie-ins. I mean, one thing in particular um, that in the first encounter with Woody, Cold asked Woody, you know, towards the end, why are you so scared still? And Woody just kind of stutters. And Cold base, injured Cold basically says, my country is not as powerful as yours. I'm glad you went back to that because, yeah, that, that's a strange, that's a strange thing to say considering you're sitting yeah. there in a in a, a, a space vehicle and uh on the side of the freeway yeah. i also think it's funny that highway 77 was the first encounter mm -hmm. and the second mm -hmm. encounter happened on highway 7 hmm. just weird just weird little things just because it's in your name yeah <laughs> well, and the first encounter happened at 7 p.m. Yeah, it, it did. did, didn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so one thing I think that's really important also to add is Woody was interviewed, and I, I've listened to all of his interviews, all the stuff that he did, like hearing his voice. Um, and one of the interviewers was like, well, what did this injured cold space alien look like and what he was like well he pretty much looked like you and me he was about 510 511 100 to 185 pounds he had dark thick hair that was slicked straight back and had a good tan and that's how he described him he had a good tan you got to remember this is in ohio west virginia in the 60s there's not a whole lot of different ethnicities going on. So, um, you know, if I feel that Woody, if Indrid had looked any other ethnicity, that Woody would have mentioned that, but he didn't. And yeah. the extra thing that he said was that the whole time Indrid kept his hands tucked into his sides and just had a huge smile on his mouth the whole time while they were telepathically talking almost like to set him at ease no aggressive moves just yeah. very genteel and that, so, that was that was a strange thing that kind of came out of nowhere when i was talking with juan ayala that yeah that dimension where time moves backwards I actually rewound it just to try and listen because it was almost one of those parts where I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> and it, it it's kind of like he brought it out of left field mm -hmm. and then just exactly. left it. Yeah. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect for me working on some of these notes. So um, as far as this Lanulos, where, where Cold says mm -hmm. he's from, um, there were some pretty good description some pretty good um information available from him as as far as giving a view of what his planet was like what what did you guys find about that yeah so the interesting thing that all of us picked up on was lanulose is described just like earth what he says there are streams there are fields there are woods apparently we all have the same animals um, but but they called him different names. Um, I remember there was a point where he said that he ate a meat that was like uh, venison, but they called it something else. 
Yeah. And the interesting thing is he, Woody, okay, so we're going to kind of skip over the stuff that's been done a bazillion times with all the times supposedly Woody is taken to Lanulos and hangs out on these other planets. But short forming it, Woody basically goes there and he's fed food and he says it's all whole organic food. Like they don't have junk food. And when Woody and his family actually come to visit, sorry, when Indrid and his family come to visit Woody, Woody's wife actually puts out like potato salad and some chips and hot dogs or something. And apparently their eyes all lit up because they had never really seen junk food before. Like everything they ate was very pure, whole, fresh, organic food. Um, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there real quick. Was that the, was that the wording from Woody about the type of food or because direct a whole, whole, whole food and organic, I don't think were probably prominent terminology back in the sixties down south um uh, probably not so uh, that you're you're just making a um a modern day correlation no. to no direct quote from his book really yes that's interesting it is it really really is <laughs> um apparently on lanulos there are there is no like monetary exchange they're allowed to take whatever they need from the store, nothing more, nothing less. Woody was not allowed to touch any items in the store on Lanulos. Because he was not from there or because he was Apparently, not? Apparently, like, don't touch it because, you know, you break it, you buy it. I don't know. The, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of things when he's describing it, he's describing it just so flat, matter of fact. Possible that, contamination because he wasn't from there? Potentially, because apparently when he gets on the craft in order to go, he is given a shot in the arm. And a um, sterilized shower as well. Like, he has to take off all of his clothing and get a completely sterilized. Yeah, and speaking of no clothing, <laughs> odd caveat, um... On Lanulos, no one wears clothes other what? than when they're... Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Gotta love the 60s. Um, yeah, everyone just hangs out nude. It, it honestly, when I was reading it, it sounded like a hippie commune. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Everyone's eating fresh foods. No one's wearing clothes. Animals everyone, are running around. Animals are running around. You know, the, it, everyone just takes what they need. Everything is available to everyone. Um, that is very communistic. <laughs> we will get there, sir. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Um, so a couple quick facts about Lanulos. Apparently they have three seasons, planting, harvesting, and cold. Again, with the cold. Um, on Lanulos, people are limited to bearing two children due to overpopulation concerns. 
There's no limit, though, on adopting children. You can adopt as many as you want, but naturally you can only have the two. That, again, reminds me of communist China's old rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Emily, is there anything that I'm forgetting about Lanulos other than um, I mean, into their system? Yeah, I mean, just like that, the their life expectancy is a lot greater than ours. Um, they have advancements in healthcare um, that allows them to live essentially 125 to 175 Earth years. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think oh well, I mean, there's just like little semantics of things that he described, like moving sidewalks and their automobiles float and. You know, just, the, like the, 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 just like on the cover of uh, um, Popular Mechanics magazine back in the sixties, which is totally something I subscribe to. Everything was uh, made to look like it was going to be straight out of the Jetsons. You know what? It kind of did remind me of Jetsons. There's this one part where he describes the um, their quote unquote like clothes washing machine. And it's basically where you hang the clothes up on this rack and then you shove it in and then it gets sprayed with this stuff and then it comes out and it's all clean and dry. Very Jetson-esque. Yeah, Yeah, it's basically like a closet kind of mechanism. They put it on on these lines, put it in, it washes itself, and then it comes out all clean. But I mean, I don't see why they would need that if they only wear clothes during the cold season you know, it just, and when they're know. working and, right. and going to other worlds, apparently that's but when you need a bodysuit on. Only like the job, because he described that only the workers that were working like the steel-based jobs, like with like steel, like had clothes on, but everybody else didn't. And they were actually scared to see that he had clothes on. So they made him strip down, which. Oh, that's right. Yes. When Woody, he gets Woody had, into town. Woody had it stripped down? Yes. Oh, see, that would not work for me. If I was around nothing but a bunch of naked people, holy cow, that would not be good. (laughs) Well, here's here's the interesting thing on that. Everyone on Lanulos is in perfect shape. So here comes Yeah, that wouldn't be good for me either. (laughs) Yeah. So um, here comes Woody with, you know, a little bit of a beer gun. It's funny that his name is Woody now. That's a lot funnier. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish you had a commercial for Manscaped to put in right now. (laughs) But basically when Woody's told he has to strip and, you know, because he's kind of freaking people out, um, everyone wants to come over and see and look at him because they've never seen anyone overweight before. That's what they'd be looking at me for. All right, it was funny, but it wasn't that funny. Well, you're making me envision it right now, and it's just thanks a lot. Uncomfortable is pleased to have better help sponsoring this episode. Moving right along. Ten years ago, I found myself in the midst of something I never expected. I was in crisis. I needed help. I knew I needed to talk to someone, but my pride and my embarrassment of having to ask for help kept me from seeking in-person therapy. Had BetterHelp existed back then, it would have made a world of difference to me. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. 
With BetterHelp, you will tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and your preferences in therapy. Then, BetterHelp will match you with the right therapist from their network. You can then talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone call, or even video call. You'll be able to message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If for any reason your therapist isn't the right fit, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you'll get the same professionalism and quality that you would expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you with more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price. With this offer, get 10% off on your first month at betterhelp.com slash uncomfortablepodcast23. That's betterhelp.com slash uncomfortablepodcast23. Um, so there's some interesting things with their belief systems and, you know, the girls were kind of joking with me, but now I'm like, maybe they're not, maybe they're not wrong. <laughs> so the people of Lanulos do not understand the word hate. Um, at one point, Andrew basically sits down with Woody and is like, you know, explain your world to me and explain these religions and how people get along and why are you guys separated? And so Woody tries to explain to him and Andrew is just flabbergasted. Like he, he doesn't get it. Why would you guys hate each other? You're all, you're all the same. You're all God's children. And he, cold, then, actually, cold actually references yes. God. Yes. Okay. Correct. And so he asks Indrid to basically expound on, well, what are your beliefs after what he's trying to explain all the different religions we have? And, you know, he probably only got through five and why they hate each other at the time or why they were different. And Woody himself seems to be getting a little mixed up at this point because he realizes by the look on Indrid's face that like Indrid's not getting it. He's not comprehending what's happening or what he's being told. And so Indrid basically tells Woody that they are taught from childhood that all people are their brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter where they're from, who they are. They're all related. They're all God's children. And that they truly believe that all people are equal. And they have only one religion, and that is that all people are God's children. Now, obviously, we've talked about the telepathy thing. So everyone on Lanulos talks via telepathy the backstory on that is supposedly the origin story of lanulos so can i can according, i i got a couple yeah. of questions um were there any other like on lanulos were there multiple races like what we have not that we were told but it was inferred and how many genders were there was that i ever? have absolutely no clue okay I think I think uh, what he just described, like men and women and children. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that's how it was described. He didn't go everywhere. We'll just say. So 
The backstory supposedly on the Lanulos origin story is that they were a space race. They landed on Lanulos, their spaceship crashed and it broke. And the people were all very upset trying to get their spacecraft fixed. And in doing so, they created different camps of people and they segregated out and they stopped talking to each other. And they existed like that for a while, very tribe-like, um, you know, not liking each other. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here type of mentality, kind of like us with our country system. Mm-hmm. And then eventually people started realizing that one of their relatives was in the other camp or other tribe and they would miss them in their heart and they would almost talk to them in their head with their heart. And eventually someone in one of the other tribes was able to feel this. And that's how they all ended up getting their telepathy back and then came together and said, we're never going to let this happen again. So Indrid is basically telling Woody that he believes if humans had telepathy, we wouldn't have wars, we wouldn't hate each other, because all people would be able to understand each other. And therefore, there would be no misunderstandings, no hurt feelings, because everyone would just instantly know how the other felt, and everything would be kumbaya. That's interesting. Is there anything... That brings something to mind to me, and and it's completely out of left field, and I don't know why it does, but maybe within the last three weeks or four weeks, I've seen a, uh, I think it was on TikTok, either that or it was a reel, and it was of a Russian soldier who was basically cornered by a Ukrainian drone, and all of his, all of the the Russian soldiers' um, comrades had been killed. He was the only one still standing. The drone was above him, and he was motioning to the drone, basically like, don't kill me. You know, he he couldn't communicate with anybody because there was nobody there, but there was this drone that was, you know, and the drone operator actually took the controls and made the drone camera move back and forth left and right to indicate no you won't be killed um i don't know why that popped into my head with what you were saying but kind of compassion huh compassion yeah and you know i mean the understanding of you know telepathy i guess the other question i was or the the question i was going to have was when woody was there on lanulos was that the primary mode of communication was were people talking or did Woody not hear anybody speak? Everything was being done telepathically. So it's inferred that the majority of the communication is telepathic at this point, but there are some instances when people from other planets um, get involved in which they speak out loud, even though they can talk via telepathy, but they speak out loud for comfort. This has got a weird feel to it. Oh, it gets better. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, Keep taking us down this hole. <laughs> okay. Well, there there actually is a report that there is a family from Earth. Like, they've been apparently coming here and hanging out with the Earth folks for a while. And there's actually a whole family from Earth that is living on Lanulos. And mind you, when Woody's in their homes, like they have very similar furniture to what we have. You know, couch, coffee table, you know, dining room and chairs. Everything looks very similar to what we have here. How long did it take Woody to get to this place? <laughs> 15 minutes to get to the mothership and then another 15 minutes to get to Lanulos. Why does it sound like they're like in a different version of Earth? A more <laughs> um, a more advanced Earth. A uh, layered reality, shall we say? Hmm. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, at no point during any of what I've known about injured cold and this and the story surrounding him and Woody and all this. Um, did I ever get that feeling before? Mm -hmm. But with what you've presented so far, it's like, Hmm. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there is a huge part in which they have a special council um, in and their government structure. So I would love for Emily to go into this part because there were some, I think as we keep going, you guys will see some of the thought processes that we were going through, but it's interesting, especially the verbiage that's used. Yeah, so this council, um, it is called the Guiding Council, and it is comprised of representatives from different worlds. Um, I guess apparently each planet elects their own representative via a popular vote. Um, and the highest individual in the Guiding Council is no better than the average person. Uh, he then goes on to say that basically... Um, this intergalactic circle benefits all planets to share technology, medicine, engineering, you know, and the likes. Um, it studies each world's problems and recommends ways to improve them. They never use no, they never use force, and they only recommend ways to improve and leave it be. Um, and then this prompts Woody to ask uh, Indrid, you know, is this communism? And Indrid says they don't have communism, which I kind of found interesting because if Indrid didn't um, understand multiple religions. How would he understand semantics of politics and right, yeah. societies like communism? And how would he be able to give an honest answer onto whether or not it was communism? Um, and basically, uh, Indrid just basically says that everybody uh, works jobs according to their ability um, and is given what they need. There is no material advantage over other people. Uh, everyone is paid according to the size of their family. P they're paid in credits or what um, he called a script. And basically, uh, the script is only for store inventory purposes. Um, and he saw it firsthand uh, when he was visiting 
the actual like supermarket with Woody and his, I mean, with uh, Indrid and Indrid's wife. Um, and now we're going to take a step back. Okay. And we're going to look at the communism key principles because as I'm, you know, reviewing all of this stuff and, and, you know, even Woody's like, is this communism? You know, some alarm bells start going off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the key principles of communism, um, everyone's in society contributes and works according to their ability and gets back everything according to their needs, which is exactly what was described with the scripts right. and the supermarket. Um, you know, there's no monetary aspect to their society. Um, Another point is everyone has free access to all the goods that the community has to offer. Again, kind of same thing. Um, There is no government. Everything is owned collectively by every member of society, which, I mean, they just elect somebody to be a part of a guiding council, but they don't hold any status over other people. Um, There is no private property, which I remember... That was be like that was a thing in the book that they kind of said that everything was owned collectively amongst the community, the gathering that they lived in. Um, and then communism rejects all religions. I know that this one's a little bit different because they say that they have one religion and that it's God's children, um, and that they don't understand any other religion. But at the same time, if they just believe that they are members from you know their god and that everybody needs to love each other because they're all the same it doesn't really preach any actual religious aspects that's true there yeah there's no there's no doctrine it's just correct the simple the simple just love your neighbor yeah yeah hmm. it does sound very much like communism yes i i agree <laughs> Very much it also, like communism. It also very much reminds me again of in the sixties with the hippie communes and that kind of mentality where we could have a great world, everyone just take what they need, you know, everyone pitches in, we're all naked and happy and we all love each other and yeah. everyone's equal. <laughs> Lots of free love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, the SEX never actually really got brought up in the book regarding, you know, everyone stooping everybody. It was more like people were married, people had kids, there was a number of children you could have. But it, it is, again, one of those kind of interesting Well, you referred to... Facets. You referred to Indrid and his wife, correct? Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. was that just an inference on your part, or did they specifically say that was his wife? No, specifically said okay. that that was his wife. Um, so here's when we're going to get into a whole lot of. <laughs> so you know, the ladies and I, we've already read the books at this point. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of different stuff that we are going to go into, um, in regarding our thoughts, things that were coming up for us while we were reading it and just tying little things together. But what I wanted to do and what I had told the girls I was going to do was I was going to remote view, jump back in time. And I wanted to see what Woody was seeing. And then I wanted to be a third party observer to also see, because I already had some thoughts in my head of 
what exactly were we dealing with? And this is when things got strange. So I've never had this happen in all my years. I've jumped back and forth in time a lot, and I've never had this happen. The first time I settled in to jump back right before I did, okay, right I was asking permission, and right before I go to jump back in time, I hear a burst of, like, radio crackle. Um, think of MASH, Vietnam War, the the radio comms, when they would kind of crackle alive. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was static and tuning. Not quite like the beginning of your, your show, Eric. Mm-hmm. A little more... Um, think almost CB radio, but more staticky. And then this male voice comes on and clearly says, go to sleep. And in my head, I thought, okay, well, maybe that spirit telling me that I'll get more information via a dream instead of just doing a remote viewing. And I instantly fell asleep, which a is weird because I never instantly fall asleep. Um, And also it was during the day, like I wasn't specifically tired. I was trying to do this as part of a meditation when I had um, time, but that radio static was so strange and so external and it, you know, I had no noise on in the house. So that was weird. After this life gets super chaotic, I have no time for anything. So it took me about two weeks to try this again. So I tried again. I told the girls of the first thing what happened. Both of them were like, okay, that's kind of weird. Made sure that both of them knew I was going to do this a couple weeks later, um, do all my protections. And I'm again, attempting to jump. And immediately I hear the static again. And I hear a female voice this time, very distant, say, copy. And I'm like, what? So I, You know, again, I ask where I want to jump back to, and I hear, copy. And at this point, now I'm not even trying to jump. Now I'm trying to understand, who are you? Like, why why are you in my head, and how am I hearing you? And I hear, copy. And it was a really creepy feeling, because I felt almost like I was being watched, and I didn't like that. And... It wasn't necessarily spiritual, per se. Now, the reason why I'm bringing these situations up. Wait well, wait a minute. It wasn't necessarily spiritual. What do you? Like, it didn't feel like my normal spirit trying to communicate with me. This mm-hmm. felt very human-esque instead of spiritual. It was like someone turned a radio on somewhere in my house and was speaking directly into my ear. Gotcha. It did not feel how I normally get messages from spirit. Um, thank you, Sheila. Human interference instead of spiritual. So what was really interesting is, you know, here I've had these two experiences. I end up having a third, but... What got brought up a couple days ago during Stephen Greer's press conference, um, the gentleman who got up to speak who had the brain injury, he's describing when he saw that craft in the road Mm -hmm. and he goes up and he's in the plasma and he goes to touch the craft. And And as he does, yes, 
uh, the weird black tiles that when you go backward were like shark skin. And he, when he touches it, he hears a female voice in his head say, you weren't mean to see, you weren't meant to see this or to be here. And he's hearing clear communication in his head from a female speaking to him. Now, mind you, I've done a lot of remote viewing. I've never had this happen before. To be honest, it really kind of weirded me out. Um, you know, but I'm alone in a desert at this point. Like I know none of this because this was months ago when this happened. So the third time I basically did it on a whim. I didn't notify anybody. I was like in the middle of a project and I just got up and just did it, which is not how I normally do things. I normally have like a process, but I was like, "Mm, I kind of need to have the jump on this. And I did, I was able to jump back immediately I saw Woody driving, I saw him in the car, I saw him pull over, I saw him talk to Indrid. Um, I did not see a spaceship. And I I did see Indrid, I saw a man on the passenger side. I went third party, I did a 360 all the way around the truck, and the only thing that I saw was two men talking, Woody in the car, and Indrid on the outside. What did he look like? Were you able to see, um, see that well, or were you just impressions? Yeah. Indrid yeah. um, looked like a cross between Clark Gable and then Gomez from the Adams family. <laughs> um, <laughs> Poor bastard. <laughs> very, very strikingly dark features, very handsome, um, but very pronounced. He had very large eyes. They were a little bulgy, and they call them like thyroid eyes. And he stared at Woody the entire time. The eye contact never stopped, which little interesting, little, little sus. Um, I saw his outfit, suit, whatever you want to call it. There was another time in which Woody has both Indrid and his friend Ardo at his house and they're talking at the side of Woody's house. And so I also jumped to that time as well. Cause I wanted to see, okay, well now we're at Woody's actual house and Ardo looked like a dark haired bearded beatnik. And I actually found a picture online <laughs> by Googling some very interesting words um, of what he looked like. He looked extremely nervous. Um, Ardo kept looking all the way around, um, constant, almost like he was the lookout. And Indra the entire time was laser focused on Woody. I mean, the, the eye contact was extreme. I don't know any other way to say it. And you seem perplexed by that. I, I'm, I'm curious, but I mean, like, where's your head going because of that? What, what is that? okay so where i went exactly was hypnosis i am thinking okay you're keeping eye contact steady you're not you know indrid isn't moving very much he's keeping woody directly in his line of sight he's keeping his arms tucked um it's a power move almost and it kind of made me think of some of the MK Ultra hypnosis programs that were going on back in that time period. That's exactly what it sounds like. 
Yeah. The other interesting thing was, you know, remember, supposedly when they take Woody on the ship, they give him a vaccination for the earth germs. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that's wondering, was that some type of, you know, hallucinogen that they slipped him so that they're just taking him around average earth, but this guy thinks he's on another planet. They're, you know, going into Woody's background, like I said, he was previously in the military, you know. Indrid deliberately tells him, go tell the authorities after the first encounter. Yeah, we didn't really it's, touch on that. And that that's a strange, that's a th- power th- move. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting with that is that if Woody was targeted because he has a military background, he had a very clean record. He was a respected member of the community. I mean, who better to be a reliable witness than someone who ticks all those boxes? Okay, but to what end? I mean, what is Woody providing by being who he is? Well, Woody ends up, you know, not only telling the police about this entire encounter, but ends up going on the news and telling everybody and anybody who will listen and then has all these people coming to his house and camping out on his property in order to see the UFO when it's going to land. And what's really interesting is, You know, according to Woody, these spaceships come and go. Everyone's coming to his property and seeing them. It's like a nightly thing. Everyone's camping out, seeing all these orbs in the sky and UFO stuff. And yet in the middle of supposedly this barrage of people who are on his property all night hanging out, up drives Woody and, or sorry, up drives Indrid Cold and Ardo in a black Volkswagen bug or a black Cadillac from the 40s or 50s, pristine. And that goes into cloaking technology. And I know I'm jumping all over the place because I actually have a load of notes here, but something really, really interesting. I had read Chris Bledsoe's book and If any of you out there are listening and you guys don't understand kind of the order of operations of what's been happening in the news lately with some of the revelations, there were, it's, it's kind of been one thing after another. Chris Bledsoe's book hits the shelves in late March, I think it was. In April, all of a sudden you have this government whistleblower reach out to a news network right in order to be interviewed because that interview was actually done back in april and then to to expound on that that whistleblower reached out to all the major networks and every one of them said nope not doing it until they got to uh nation news news nation news nation yeah news nation because they're a little bit newer And I also find it interesting that still to this day, the major networks aren't talking about it. Not a word word of it. Because you and I had a conversation that night and we were like, we could not wait till the next morning to turn on the major news networks and see if it was going to be mentioned. And there was not a word. Nothing, which is astounding to me. But At the end of April, May 1st, you have this thing crash in Las Vegas in someone's backyard. The poor family calls 911. That whole thing, every news station is talking about still to this day. Um, I'm going to back up a little. 
I mentioned Chris Bledsoe's book. It's called UFO of God. And like I said, it came out first, then the whistleblower came to the news stations, then you have Las Vegas, and then you have Stephen Greer doing the press conference the day after the whistleblower interview went live on TV. And again, sanctioned by the Pentagon. And if you watch Stephen Greer's press conference, he is calling for Congress and Senate to take immediate action and basically calling for this technology that this shadow entity, whatever it is, um, has in order to come out and give it to the world. And it would supposedly solve pollution issues, you know, hunger issues, technological issues, et cetera, which again, if you're putting it into terms and looking at the parallels between injured cold and lanulose, lanulose, everyone has everything for free. No one takes more than what they need. It's their technology is so advanced that people don't need for much. Everyone does their part to contribute. There's not, I need more than you power plays and things like that. It's so fascinating to me, the parallels between these two. But the reason I mentioned Chris Bledsoe's book is there's this little tiny part. It's like one paragraph in it in which he talks about, um, I forget who it was, but there is someone on his property who clearly sees this 1960s style black truck that's pristine, which is why it stood out to them pull up in the driveway and then wait there. And so the person calls to Chris and says, Hey, you know, someone's obviously here for you. So Chris comes out, not expecting anyone and there's no truck there. And then he asked the person, well, can you describe the truck? And they go, Oh, it was a big old 1960s truck. Whoever had it, it was super pristine. Like it was black and it was perfect. Like it had just come off the rack, but it was 1960s. And so Chris goes out and looks in the road and can't find any tire tracks. And the reason I bring that up is because Woody talks about Ardo and Indrid Cold pulling up to his house numerous times in pristine 20 to 30 year old vehicles, a Volkswagen Bug or a Cadillac that are pristine, black and perfect, look like they just got off the line even though they're 20, 30-year-old cars. And the parallels between Woody and Chris Bledsoe with not only what happens in their original sightings with these beings' entities, but then what ends up happening to their lives. I mean, poor Woody's life pretty much went to, you know, wear in a handbasket. And then all of a sudden you know, Woody's being taken to NASA and watching a rocket launch and being, you know, taken around by some very interesting high-level people. The parallels to me, and, you know, I bought Chris Bledsoe's book on a total whim. I saw a TikTok by someone who I respect who basically said, read this book. There's a lot of information in it, but you need to read between the lines. And Now I'm putting the parallels together, just going, wow, talk about spirit intervening, because what perfect timing. JJ, I want to go back to something, you know, during your your remote viewing. You you went back, what, three times? 
Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever consider trying to go check out Woody while he was on Lanielos so that you could see what Lanielos looked like? No. I can. I mean, I just thought that, you know, I mean. Well, okay, actually, sorry. Let me correct that. When I was reading the book, I can, and and I do this when people are describing like dreams and stuff that they've had with me. I can see what they're describing. And it wasn't just like my mind creating a picture. Like I could physically see like the orange couch and the weird brown shag carpeting in the house and the weird oval coffee table that was very reminiscent of the 60s and 70s when he was in their house in Lanulos. So yes-ish, I just wasn't actively doing it at that point. Um, did, it my seem, part of- did it seem off to you or did it seem like... It reminded me of the Jetsons and the Flintstones if their house had like a weird baby, <laughs> to be honest. It felt very much, you know, all it was missing was plastic on the couch. We'll put it that way for it to be a typical home from the 60s and 70s. It was very, it looked like it was super high tech. There wasn't a lot of clutter. It was super neat. Um. Because I'm my, the image I'm getting in my head is very much like the set of Bewitched or um, the Mary Tyler Moore show, where it, it is all very sixties mm-hmm. looking everything. Kind of more Jetson esque, which I know that was out during that time as well. Um, but very 60s, 70s colors, you know, like the oranges, that weird mm. rust orange color that was everywhere. Lime the browns, green. lime, yeah, the lime green, the browns. Um, it it looked so earthly, but neater, I guess. Uh, you know, there were no tchotchkes. There, there were no paintings on the walls that I was seeing. Everything was very simplistic, very streamline everything had a function and a use there was no clutter from what i saw i'm gonna jump in eric have you ever been to the henry ford museum man when i was a little kid okay so they have this um exhibit there and it's a model of a house that someone had created in the 50s that was like circular and the inside of that to me is kind of what plays into the description that woody had given on the book like especially with like the weird closet washing machine thing it was supposed to be like a house of the future um kind of concept and that's what i was thinking back to like while reading the book so i didn't know if like you had been there (laughs) because that's like for me where my mind had gone i got you yeah i was Mm -hmm. i was young when i was there um they had they had a very similar thing down in disney um, I don't remember which park it was in. It might have been um, Epcot, but they had a very similar. It was, you know, what the anticipation of the house of the future was, you know, from the 50s to, you know, 10 whopping years later. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I can't help but think, like, were there test communities um, that, you know, 
that these were like premier test communities that, you know, these, these people would move into. And this was, this was the future. This was what neighborhoods were going to look like. And, you know, this is what, how, how life was going to be. It just seems, it seems very much to fall in line with that. Well, yes. And, and this is part of the issue that we were having and why we were in so much constant communication, because as we're, as we're reading these books and we're talking to each other about them, you go from the very physical, okay, was this someone giving him a hallucinogen, taking him to a commune, you know, society like you're talking about eric and then they give him a little something and he feels like he's been a spacecraft you know like is this someone manipulating him Mm -hmm. um or and to be perfectly honest like we started kind of going into was this you know this was during the cold war was this potentially you know communist spies from russia coming over and messing with him you know trying to erode the fabric of america quote unquote during that time period because you know there was the red wave and the red terror and red scare and you've got joe mccarthyism that had only happened you know a few years before so and i get i get what you're going at with that but yeah but one guy you know why weren't you gotta remember we're focusing on just Woody in regards to injured cold, mm-hmm. but there's a whole lot of stuff happening in Point Pleasant during this time period. And one thing that when I was listening to Cryptids of the Corn on their Mothman series that they pointed out was that Point Pleasant was actually number three on Hitler's list to bomb if he ever invaded America. And so this would have made Point Pleasant kind of a infiltration point because a it's kind of in the middle of nowhere it's pretty rural um but it's also a great target for spies because there was a giant united states weapon depot in point pleasant and you know as you go through all the other stuff with mothman and everything else that's happening in the city during this time period then you've got woody with this whole experience happening it, it could it be a distraction or could it have been one more weird thing to add to the giant list of everything that was happening? And that's again, why, because Woody was so vocal because he was going on talk shows and TV interviews and the news so often, he really was a big mouthpiece for whoever was behind him. And so when we started thinking, okay, well, let's look at this from a fact of, could this just have been communist spies and potential warfare? Okay, so we have the hypnosis technique. Um, We have, you know, potentially giving him, dosing him with something. Now the whole telepathy thing, right? We kind of got a little hung up on that, but psychics were widely used in Russia. Yeah. You know, and had been for years. And I know a lot of people who grew up in Russia still live there as well as in Ukraine. And during that time period and still today, typically people from there will go see a healer before they see a doctor. 
So they will go to like a psychic healer type person before they go to an actual doctor to get something done. Russia had the third eye spies program before we did. You know, the Cold War started March 12th, 1947 and didn't end until almost the end of 1991. So we're all very much in that time period. So then we start kind of going along these lines of, okay, maybe these were communist spies and maybe this was all like a big giant ruse. And I have to say, I mean, these girls did some research. Emily ended up coming up with some pretty amazing things that were described in the Mothman prophecy books that were happening all around this town. And let, let me jump in here real quick. And at the beginning of the show, I introduced all three of you and uh, you guys may have noticed that you have not heard Sheila, um, but Sheila is contributing through our, uh, our private chat. Uh, she has a noisy house at the moment and uh, she opted to, to just interject through, uh, through her, her chat. So she is contributing. Uh, she was a big part of all this uh, discovery so I uh, just want to make sure you guys realize that she is indeed a part of this, just not vocally. So go ahead. We're, we're her vocal lines. <laughs> so Emily, please talk about everything that you started sussing out because this took a very interesting turn. Yeah. So to kind of start it all off, um, you know, and when you're looking at Woody and Indrid's situation, like you said, it's just a small piece of the whole puzzle of Point Pleasant and what's going on in that area. And a thing that was reoccurring, like consistently in the Mothman book, when describing these odd characters that were showing up and um, being strange and odd and having weird behaviors and doing weird things, um, was their clothing was all very similar. And one part of their clothing um, that was described was them having thick soled shoes. And I don't know where it happened, but in my brain, I was like, I'm going to Google thick soled shoes, uh, Russia, 1960s. Right away, I found a hit of these shoes. Um, and they're kind of similar to like creeper brothel type shoes. Uh, and I was like, that's gotta be it. Right. And so I click on a Wikipedia page that talks about them. Um, and it's talking about this kind of a counterculture, uh, style of dress, almost like Russian hippie thing that was popular amongst the youth in the 1960s. Um, and it was called the, this, this Dilagi, uh, which means uh style hunters um and they also loved uh western music and ideologies so they were really into jazz and they were into western tv shows and all of that stuff so i found the page super quick i immediately sent it to the girls um and they were like wow like yeah that makes sense so they were beatniks yeah pretty much okay. interesting that and those shoes popped right up well, it is interesting because Emily sends us the link and it's a Wikipedia page, which I normally have no issues with. Um, so I ended up reaching out to some people that I know who grew up in Russia and Ukraine during that time period. 
And I said, hey, do you remember this trend? And I actually sent them, and we have a whole bunch of pictures for you, Eric, uh, for you to post on the socials for some of the stuff we're talking about. And I'd ask them, hey, do you remember this fad with these shoes? Can you remember anybody wearing this? And I went through 12 different people, and none of them could remember this being a trend. None of them remember anybody wearing these weird shoes. None of them. And yet there's an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to it that Emily found right away that when I went to look for it, searching pretty much with the same Google parameters, I wasn't able to find it. I had to go off her link. Hmm. Yeah, and I found it. I found it like within 30 seconds. It was super fast. Found a picture off of Google image, took me to that Wikipedia page and... So I, I didn't have any issues finding it. Sounds like Emily's like a master Googler. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but like when it comes or, to this, <laughs> or what? <laughs> or that Wikipedia page was created deliberately to throw us off. <laughs> Maybe. Easy, Just easy us, uh, we're the only ones looking at it. <laughs> easy, <man. laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, you know, reading on the Wikipedia page and reading more into their clothing style and stuff, you know, there was very similar descriptions of this clothing style that matched descriptions within the Mothman. Um, it would, you know, check jackets, uh, odd, odd color shirts, um, you know, things along that line. Um, and you know, there was even a point in the Mothman where I think it was like the day or two before that the, the bridge collapsed. Somebody had reported two men climbing up the bridge with check jackets and strange shoes in the cold. And, you know, they were worried that they were going to fall because they didn't look like they were supposed to be working on the bridge. And then the bridge collapses. And, you know, it's just the way that everything kind of lines up weirdly to this style, you know, made me think even further. And if it were communist spies um, coming to America, they would use something like this fashion style um, to try to blend in with the American public because that's what they believed was the style at the time. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a dictatorship. They probably don't have access to, you know, all of the the American programs. And this is what the youth had basically decided was the fashion style of, of America. I mean, it was strange to people, you know, in West Virginia, but... It was what they could pull from. I got one big question. Um, And maybe in the reading, this would have come up or become apparent to to any of you. If this was a communist infiltration, what would the benefit have been to taking out that bridge? Would that have, would that have garnered them uh, some additional time to, to do something was it a was it a major was it a major access to that city that it could have kept people from getting there so um, the bridge itself um connects point place west virginia to ohio like over a river from what i'm what i believe mm-hmm. um and you know i mean if you look back into tactics even from like the civil war uh, bridges were taken out frequently to hinder movements and things like that. Um, and, you know, if if it's true that this was Hitler's like third place on a list, 
to attack, you know, if, you know, going after America, they would begin to disrupt, you know, infrastructure, you know, to not allow people to leave and things like that. A giant diversion, basically. Look over here. Look, your bridge collapsed. All these people are on it while we go rob the artillery depot. It's a theory. It's right? a theory, but it, it makes more sense than, you know, the Mothman being an interdimensional creature that, <laughs> you know, came out of nowhere and showed up for a, for a little while and then, boom, it's gone. Um, it does, but... <laughs> and this is why and where our minds were spinning for a bit is because we kept... We would we would be absolutely sure, okay, we figured this out. This is pretty much where we're going with this. And then something would come up that can go another way. You know, for instance, all these random people that were seen in, in the towns during the time all the Mothman stuff was happening, they had an odd way of speaking, almost like in a sing-song manner. Well, okay, we can explain that by saying, okay, well, if these are people who are only picking up English from watching movies, there was a tons of musicals back then, or from our songs, I can understand that the way that they're going to speak English is through like how those song lyrics sound. And they're going to think, apparently, we all just break out in wild song every time we have something magical we need to talk about. Um, Another thing that my mind went to when, when we were trying to figure out why they spoke that way is if you look at old like recordings of the way that people enunciated um, because of the equipment that they used, they had to over enunciate things, which could make it seem odd in typical conversation. So even if it wasn't like they were singing everything, like, if they were enunciating things in a certain way, it could kind of sound, you know, like in a sing-songy manner if they were using very old, you know, movies and, and television programs and things like that to to learn English based off of. Definitely. You know, and, th and then it also makes me think, okay, this is very Fae-like, right? Which we will definitely get into in a bit. So, okay, fae, so... Fae is in Fae. Yeah. The Fae. The Fae. The Fae. Like I said. The Fae. The Fae. <laughs> um, because, you know, the Fae are known for having very weird customs. They talk kind of sing-songy. But the other thing is there's these reports that, like, these strange people wearing these weird shoes who just don't look right. Like they, they look human, but there's always something a little off. Their clothes fit weird. Um, and that the person would give them something very ordinary, like a pen, for instance. And these things would literally jump up and down and start giggling like a madman and then just run off. Like that's very fae like right? So you know, I'm trying to read this with an open mind saying, could there be a physical reason? Could there be something else? And could there be something else else? And, and this is, these, these are some of the thought processes that we were going through. Sheila ended up making an amazing correlation because the one thing we couldn't 
quite understand was during Mothman with all of these strange people who keep showing up in the town, not Indrid per se, but all these other strange people who seem Indridy related. They kept saying that they looked and pardon the word, you got to remember this book is written in the sixties and seventies, but they were all described as having Oriental features. Well, you know, today that can mean one of umpteen different things But if you think of Eurasian, which would be a mix of Russian and Chinese, which is a part of Russia, Eurasians do have Asian-esque features, even though they look Caucasian-ish. And because they come from a very cold (laughs) um, area, if you bring them on over to America in fall their skin is going to get tan extremely quick because they're not used to having that level of sunshine. Make that tracks right. But one other thing that Sheila brought up is if you were coming here and you were from a different species, let's say, or you, i.e. didn't wear a human body and you were trying to find the proper human body to wear, you would go with the majority population on the planet, which the majority population is from the Asian countries. And so therefore you would have the darker skin and the Asian features, or I don't even know what Oriental means anymore. Honestly, I had to Google it and it it means so many different things. Well, I I think you have to look, you have to look back at, what was acceptable and common ways of speaking back during that time. And what you're saying, as far as somebody looking Asian or Oriental, there is a very specific connotation to that. And, you know, though we don't use that nowadays, we're talking about something that took place back in the sixties. So it it would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's all these other really weird things that we started finding. Yeah, so um, people were complaining pretty frequently um, of being robbed of their clothing. Um, You know, that was brought up in Mothman several times that people were making complaints of getting robbed of their shoes or getting robbed of their, like, having to strip completely naked. They were essentially cornered on the middle of a road and told you know we want your clothes and you know the way that i looked at it with that um maybe they were trying to acquire clothes that better blended in Mm -hmm. with america at the time versus what they they were wearing um you know if they were trying to be kind of on the down low about everything um and not stand out so much yeah that it's it's probable that they could have robbed people you know especially if they didn't have any you know money you know to go buy clothes or didn't want to trigger weird reports to the police. Oh, this person came in acting strange and they bought clothes. Um, It's a lot easier to mask yourself robbing someone else. Um, And also another thing is that pretty much everybody (laughs) was described um, as having like weird blonde hair, like overly bleached and kind of odd. Which again, you know, if they were, if they were trying to blend in with uh, Americans, you know, JJ's at the communist. time, <laughs> Jay just a communist. I'm just trying to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> 
But at the time, you know, in propaganda, you know, that America was pushing out a lot of the times it shows Americans as having blonde hair and being, you know, white in complexion and things like that. Um, they also didn't seem to be phased by the cold winter of West Virginia at all. They either had no jackets or very thin jackets, um, which could be attributed to the fact that naturally in Russia, it, it tends to be a lot colder than here in America. And maybe for them, it was, Much more you know, they mild. didn't feel, yes, like they didn't feel that they needed the extra outerwear. Um, Another thing that was just like a weird thing that was brought up a lot in the Mothman uh, was that sulfur tablets would be taken orally. Now, when looking and trying to make a connection with sulfur in Russia, if you do a quick search, it shows to be that it's one of Russia's main harvested, like naturally occurring materials, um, as well as sulfuric uh, tablets being taken orally to treat various illnesses. Now, if you go back to the fact that uh, they didn't really use typical medicine and that they were more herbalistic and they, you know, went to psychics for healings and stuff like that, that makes sense. If they're taking these sulfuric tablets for, you know, heart conditions or stomach conditions and you know, that was just common practice, they wouldn't think anything of it. Especially if you come from a different country where you're not used to eating junk food and all of a sudden everything, you know, that you're eating is deep fried. I mean, let's face it, that's an area that deep fries butter. So, you know, they're, they potentially could need something for their stomachs to balance out, um, just the difference in fat that they're having to consume. But here's the other weird thing. There's, there's one other account where the guy starts, he's doing like an interview in their home. He's very huge and starts kind of breathing, almost like wheezing, doesn't look well and asks for water. And he had told them I'll be needing that water in 40 minutes. And exactly at 40 minutes, he starts breathing all raspy. She brings him the water and he pops a sulfur tab. And then all of a sudden he can breathe again. So, you know, then again, my mind goes back to, okay, were these really beings from somewhere else and they needed the sulfur in order to breathe? Or, you know, potentially, I don't know, does sulfur even help allergies or breathing issues? Yeah, that's, that's a... Not something I would ever think that would be a, I mean, I'm even surprised to hear that Emily say that sulfur tablets were used for, you know, holistic um, health over there. Yeah, and they still are. All right. Where are we going now? Um. So... This kind of ties a little bit into the disclosure that uh, Dr. Stephen Greer had put out. Um, so if we're going along with the communistic spy thing and we're trying to come up with an explanation for Mothman, you know, he was described as being very human-esque, looking like a man, you know, launching straight up into the sky, glowing red eyes, things like that. Um, you know, maybe it was a flight suit. Uh, when Dr. Stephen Greer was talking about how we on earth have had the technology of like anti-gravity, you know, vehicles and things like that. Um, you know, there was this one case where this man-made, uh, space spaceship, a man-made like, you know, ship got too close to a car and the people inside suffered radiation burns. 
in Mothman, um, Keel describes this phenomenon after people seeing, you know, Mothman up close, looking into his eyes, or even being close to the UFOs where they would suffer insane conjunctivitis. And some of the people also would get these sunburn-like rashes all over the body. Conjunctivitis is pink eye, right? Yes. Yeah, so if they if they look too close <laughs> at it, they would get conjunctivitis. Huh. Um, but then there was also people that had gotten the full body, basically like sunburns, yeah. and they'd be swollen, which plays into radiation poisoning yeah. that happens. You know, those kinds of symptoms are a thing, you know, to do with radiation poisoning. Right. So when I heard the, the, the conference happening and... I heard that part immediately. My mind was like, oh my God, that's Mothman stuff. Like a lot of people suffer from these rashes and these ailments and yeah. And it, it plays in to exactly what he had said, especially time-wise, if it had been since the fifties, um, you know, that we've had this technology, you know, maybe, maybe something like that happened with that. This gets deep. Yeah, it does. It really does. It, it is, um, you know, I love the weird and I love the, I love the mythos of the Mothman and all that stuff. Um, but if this, if this stuff is true, like if, if this, if this canvas that you guys are painting on right now is, is more factual and more accurate to what actually happened, it's infinitely more interesting that we were we were that close to a foreign nation infiltrating a land that has never seen an invasion from another country yeah i mean there there's so much in here um there's this one little snippet where indrid basically woody's kids leave some stuff out on like the back lawn right and then woody sees this weird pink ship and these beings who indrid calls them humanoids indrid apparently shows up right as these beings are coming and taking all these toys and indrid shows up and apparently talks to them and then woody's like well what are they aren't they like you and he's like no they're called humanoids and Apparently, the humanoids look just like human, except instead of hair, they have pin feathers and they have all this weird pink stuff around their eyes. Well, you have a lot of people who talk about the Sandhill Crane being Mothman. That's what Mothman really was instead of whatever Mothman is. And if you think about it, these humanoids, if you're dosing somebody, right? And then you show them a human tri- tripping, who has tripping balls, and then you show <laughs> yeah, and then you show them a person with conjunctivitis who maybe has gel in their hair and their hair slicked back, right? That could look like pin feathers, and could look you know, or you show them a sandhill crane, which we also have a picture of. It's awful, like this description of these humanoids. But again, here's where we get in the this whole dichotomy of where the brain starts to be like, wait, which one? Because these beings supposedly coming down in these pink orbs, picking up stuff that you just leave out. Again, that's very fae like 
There used to be old lore of the fairies will come at night and take all of your toys that you leave out. That's why you've got to put them all away. So, you know, again, my mind's spinning. The the Fae is a hard one for me to wrap my head around. Well, <laughs> buckle up, buttercup. We're going in. <laughs> there wasn't another interesting one that Emily and Sheila really focused on, and I find it fascinating after the disclosure of the past couple days because Stephen Greer talks about it multiple times, as well as the whistleblower in regards to infrasound. Mm-hmm technology and this yeah, could so, be the one right yeah yeah so there was a point um where in the mothman uh keel went to this area um i think it was called like the tnt area or something along the, the effects the of that bunker. yeah yep and uh he's out there you know um uh, with a couple people and it's late at night and they just start feeling weird and super scared out of nowhere. So then they kind of retract <laughs> and go back from where they came from and it, they didn't feel that anymore. And then they go back to that area and the same type of sensation happening happens. And I mean, it's come out that infrasound has been used as a weapon, you know, against sure. against people for, for a while, especially from Russia. Russia has been testing it. You know, there's been several things that have happened in Russia that may point towards those, uh, those like weapons actually being used against people. Well, in Cuba, um, Cuba used yes. it in the Havana yes. syndrome. Um, exactly. And, and what is Cuba? Are they communists? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the feelings of fear that people would experience when they were having these Mothman encounters. I mean, it's possible that if it was somebody, you know, wearing a flight suit that they also had this infrasound as a, as a technology to scare people um, in the area as well, to make it more believable that it's something, you know, otherworldly or interdimensional and not a human in a suit flying around trying to freak people out as a distraction like a jet pack yeah with a spandex suit easy now <laughs> easy you know i mean infrasound is definitely a thing i mean and it's been around uh for long enough that it's it is it has been perfected i mean it is a targeting they're able to target specific individuals with that technology you know it it's a it's a direct it's a direct weapon so i mean i have no i have no problems thinking that infrasound could have been used at that time the 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 physicality of the the mothman is the thing that i have the most issue with because it's been represented in so many different forms um the the descriptions of it have varied so dramatically if they were using hypnosis is it possible that 
the image of the Mothman was an implant, an implanted thought, a mass. I hate the term mass hallucination because I always think that's the cop out, but could it have been that? Well, what about mass hypnosis? And, you know, if it really was someone with a jetpack and, you know, a spacesuit or a spandex suit with wings, whatever, with big old, you know, googly red eyes, which were basically just night vision goggles for the time mm -hmm. with different technology than we have now. Um Potentially, people could have seen it on all these different encounters. I mean, I always like to come from the point of believing everybody in their experiences, but what exactly their experience was could potentially be explained in different ways. Oh, absolutely. You know, so so we've gone through a lot of the physical things that we potentially thought these things were, right? If these were... You know, whether they were communist infiltrators that were spying, that had different technology, that were causing all this chaos and pandemonium in this Point Pleasant area for various nefarious purposes. Okay, we still have some questions, though. I have some questions, because in light of everything that's been coming out recently, just with things that I know... Okay, aliens, fae, and interdimensional beings, and layered realities, like all of that. Mm -hmm. That is a huge potential because if you take Woody's word for it and you say all that he understood was true, these are visitors from other layered realities or interdimensional beings who live with on our planet with us. That would explain why it only took, you know, AKA 30 minutes in order to get to Lanulos because they're just going through a different dimensional change to Woody. It's going to feel like 30 minutes to them. It's going to feel different. It definitely would explain why they said if they stay here too long, they get younger. So they can't stay on earth too long. It would also explain why there were so many people who saw all these spaceships. I mean, if you go by Mothman alone, and obviously, you know, I haven't been out there to interview everyone in 1966, but if you go from Mothman alone, there were over, you know, 3,000 people that saw these spaceships in the sky on a somewhat regular basis. That's huge. So... If it was someone who physically did have different technology, was using this as a diversion for the people to get what they wanted, okay, cool. But there's some other questions. Why were they saying that they came from Lanulos and that there were people from Venus and Cerebus, these other planets? Possibly could those be worlds within our own world, i.e. they call their dimension or their world that? We call ours Earth. They called theirs that, but we're all coexisting within this layered reality. Um, you know, were the sulfur pills, that's a hard word to say suddenly, you know, because their atmosphere is slightly different and they needed that in order to stay here. If, you know, 
again, if people are seeing all of these spacecraft and all these weird people in their town in mass, why didn't the government pull up? Like, why wasn't the National Guard? No one seemed to be freaked out by all of this either, which was also kind of odd. It was like a big hubbub. And, you know, instead of the July 4th cookout, everyone's staying outside till midnight to watch all these spacecraft come over. But, you know, it, it was never reported that a whole bunch of, you know, government or National Guard drove in in order to see these things. I'm sure they were there in some capacity, but it it wasn't like some other mass sightings or UFO flops where it's very visible to see the presence of the military or whomever um, that came into town. You know, Sheila again brought up this amazing point. If, if you were an alien and you didn't have a human body, you would try to fit in choosing the form of the people with the highest population, which is why they were all described as deeply tan and having, you know, Eurasian or Asian-esque features. There's been so much disclosure that's been made regarding the shadow government who has recreated UFOs for nefarious purposes and took technology and reversed it for ill-gotten gains. That could be some of the stuff that, you know, Mothman has seen right then and there. Um, yeah, I mean, because even who's, who's to say, who's to say, other other governments didn't do the same thing we did with rever yeah. reverse engineering and creating a man-made version of as close as we could get with the technology at the time to do the things that these craft were doing. Well, and there are reports that Mussolini had this technology as well. And I had heard this in story that at the time seemed wild, but it was this man who worked for Mussolini. Mussolini told him, I know high magic. The guy just thought, oh, he's a dictator. He's off his rocker. I don't want to get killed. I'm just going to do what he says. And the guy said, take Mussolini, had this man take Mussolini's wife. Okay. So the dictator's wife in a car and go up this hill at this specific date and time and the man does it, not knowing why. And in the middle of going up the hill with all these other cars, all the cars just completely die. And everyone gets out of their car, like, what happened? And they look up and there's a spaceship. And here he is with the dictator's wife. And she said, well, he told you he could do magic. So, you know, and th that's a really weird little snippet report. So, you know, there's been... In some of this disclosure, there's been a lot of talking about cloaking technology, mm -hmm. things that look different than what they really are. Um, you know, one of the most recent ones was they found the craft, it looks one size, and then they go inside and it's giant. So whatever this technology or these beings are able to manipulate time and space, kind of like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. So, you know, okay, if they got that right, what else? You know, again, the phase, fey aliens, interdimensional beings, those kind of always have gone hand in hand. That's why I don't talk about aliens too much, because I feel like there's these very staunch camps and no one wants to have the discussion about potentially blending them all together. So you're saying the people that say Bigfoot comes from UFOs are right. Not necessarily. 
I'm saying layered reality yeah. and interdimensional beings. If things are able to walk from one dimension into another, that's why they're here one minute and they're gone the next. And maybe there are times when UFOs need to come and pick them up and be like, hey, buddy, you've been out here a little too long. Like, we need you back at home. Your wife, kids miss you. You know, the, the whole idea of layered reality and, you know, I mean, I understand the the physics behind how they explain, you know, that, you know, if you took a book and all the pages, you stood a book up on its, uh, on its spine and all the pages were running uh, vertical that those realities would be layered right next to us. You know, and we even talked about this in uh, uh, <clears throat> the episode I did with Juan Ayala from One on One. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, like the upside down that they portray in Stranger Things, you know, it's alluded to that that's, that's a real thing. But if, if those, if those realities are stacked and our reality is between two others okay. and there is an upside down to those, then we're sandwiched between our own upside down and the reality to the left of us, they're upside down. Or what if we are the upside down? That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Show's over. Um, <laughs> Everyone's brain broke. <laughs> no, think about it. Honestly, though, think about it. We have war, pestilence. We have people who suffer consistently on this plane of existence. We have people who kill each other for absolutely no reason whatsoever. All of the horribleness that we have in this world, we still do have some good here. A lot of good. But some days you really have to search for it. Yeah. What if we are the upside down and other things are coming here to be like, hey, you guys, we could help you out. You don't have to live like this. And that's why they don't want to stay here too long. I don't know. I, you know, like with all the disclosure and everything that's come out in this past couple of weeks and the, the bombs that... Uh, Grush was dropping during his interview. Um, and there's some crazy shit going to happen there. I, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't believe that mainstream news hasn't picked up on this, that it's it. it and, and then, you know, how did, because if you go to news nation, you can find an absolute, ton of videos not just of the whistleblower interview but of subsequent subsequent conversations that have been had after and about it you know it's like i don't understand why um i don't understand why it's not taking hold and you know maybe it's because it sounds crazy but the government's been talking about this for several several years now. And the, the, the thing I found really interesting was I, I don't think I ever really looked at it from the perspective that Grush um, put forth in his interview where that the constitutional government, the acting government was not aware of this stuff because this information was being held by these 
third-party contractors and the um, and the FBI's and the CIA's and all the other three-letter agencies is being kept from from them. That kind of makes sense to me. Um, I don't know. I think you guys. Mm-hmm. May, I think you guys maybe cracked the code on the uh, <laughs> on the Mothman stuff, the injured cold. Well, I mean, again, I'm going to come back to what I said earlier. And, you know, if you haven't read Chris's book, if you don't know really who he is and why I'm making this connection, to be honest, Chris Bledsoe is the current day Woody Derenberger. The only difference is the world's a little more connected now. And I mean, the the people who endorsed his book and did the foreword and acknowledgement in it are extremely high ranking people within the government who I highly doubt would want to put their names and their careers out there and reputations on the line in order to endorse some hokey fooey. And also some of the things that, Chris had like being taken to NASA and being able to watch a space shuttle launch was exactly what happened to Woody. Yeah. So, you know, if Woody and Chris are indeed in touch with interdimensional beings that want to help us, that want to raise us up, that are looking out for our best interest, that are trying to propel and move us forward, that don't understand why we hate each other, that don't understand the wars and want us to live in a much better place. Again, are we the upside down? And they're trying to help us right the ship? You know, another thing that that has started to bug me is like, you know, Stephen Greer... I have some issues with him. Um, I like what he does. Uh, I mean, he charges an exorbitant amount of money uh, to do his CE five stuff, um, but you got to make money, right? Um, he's he's putting out documentaries and he's producing and he's you know he's getting all these whistleblowers to come forward and, and so there's expense to it. That being said, everything that Greer has said for years and years and years has been that extraterrestrials are not violent. They're not here to mm-hmm. F with us. They are not here to um, take us over, to eat us, to enslave us. Our military though, on the other hand, has always portrayed them as being uh, a threat. What really is interesting to me is when you go and you listen to any of Stephen Greer's press conferences where he has a number of people stand up in front of the the group of people that are there to witness it and tell their stories, the vast majority of them are ex-military. So why why is there such a decisive difference between what we're being told the military feels about these things and then when they leave the military and they go and jump onto the disclosure bandwagon, they're saying just the opposite, that they're in agreement with Stephen Greer. Um, well, and that, that's kind of crazy. And to go back to, you know, when Indrid was describing to Woody that they had this guiding council and that they had the intergalactic circle and that it benefits all planets to share technology, medicine, engineering, etc., So that 
these worlds don't have to have these problems. And what they do is they actually study the world's problems and then recommend ways to improve them. But they never use force. They recommend ways to improve it and then they leave it be, i.e. they don't get involved. Well, if you believe the valiant Thor and you believe all of these different things that have come out over the years of aliens potentially being at the White House and having conversations. I mean, these were, this stuff has been out for years. And yet they make people like Greer seem like he's the crazy one. And it's dumbfounding to me because maybe I came from Lanulus. I don't know. I don't understand hate. I, I don't understand why humans do a lot of the things that they do. Um, I also can't understand if there's technology that can benefit the every human on this planet, why are we not thinking of each other as brothers and sisters? Why in 2023 are we still fighting about things like race and where you came from and little petty, silly stuff? That makes no difference at the end of the day. If you didn't, if you didn't, I got to be careful how I say this. If, if you didn't have media in your life, if there was, if you didn't have the news, if you didn't have any of these things that we have in front of us constantly, mm -hmm. would race ever even enter into your thoughts as far as seeing another colored person or another um, another person from a, a different country would would it ever no our our perspectives no. on these people are being fashioned by what we see in media constantly. Absolutely, and it's being weaponized and politicized. Exactly, and hate it, your it, common man. Hate, hate this person because they don't believe what you did, right? So we've got religion. Then we've got where people, oh, you're from that country. Automatically, we're rivals. We don't like each mm -hmm. other or we hate each other. Then you put in color on top of it, which somehow just because someone's born with a different amount of melanin in their skin, you instantly have to hate them and think that they're less than you. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And then you have all these other things that today that are being politicized and weaponized. I don't understand why it's 2023. We're better than this. What are we doing? Sheila, I, Sheila just piped in, in the, in the chat. And, and I agree with her completely because this is um, one of my favorite movies. Um, it, it's a little campy. Um, but I think, you know, John Carpenter is, is a phenomenal director and some of my all time favorite movies, Halloween, the thing, uh, escape from LA, um, escape from New York. I mean, um, but she said, we're living in the real life. They live, which if you have not seen that movie, I would recommend watching that movie because Again, it's it's over the top, it's in your face, but I think I think she's right. I think we are in the midst of a very similar situation that they portray in that movie. 
Well, and something else that Sheila brought up is that in Greer's conference, they show the man-made greys manning their crafts. And that Greer shows the drawing of the normal, like the actual alien craft and what the actual aliens look like. And they look just like regular humans, sometimes just without hair and without ears. Yeah. Ladies, you have done a bang up job. The hot tamales have pleased me. Is, uh... <laughs> <laughs> We're all laughing hysterically. I'm trying not to put that on, but I'm about to fall off my chair. <laughs> um, I wouldn't. I, I think you busted it. I think I think you broke it. I like what you came up with. It's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But we're not done, right? We are not done. Uh, We have a whole bunch more to discuss on Afterthoughts. This actually goes even further. Um, We wanted to make this as cohesive as we could for this episode. But I think definitely in Afterthoughts, we are going to go full tilt. Like Sheila just uh, popped in again. Indrid Cold debunked. (laughs) Need the big stamp that goes across the video now that says debunked. Um which is which is kind of sad for me. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie because I mean the the mythos of that character has always been kind of very mysterious for me. And you know, um, but when you when you put, I don't it, think we debunked him. If anything, I think we put it into a much more appropriate. I think we undebunked. I don't even know the word for that. Yeah. If anything, there's more. You rebunked it. <laughs> We rebunked it, yes. <laughs> There's more but, validity to who he is as a person. Thank you, Emily. Yes, more validity and tying it together with current events that have come to pass. Because let's put it this way. If we had recorded this two months ago, Eric, like we were supposed to, mm-hmm. to have it out for your birthday episode, we wouldn't have had all the revelations and things to tie it together. Right. But as a result of waiting for there was no reason to wait we just all waited for absolutely no reason because our minds were spinning a bit but as a result of that i think there's a lot of huge revelations in here and more to come ominous (laughs) dun 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 there will there will there will be an afterthoughts uh, I, I promise you guys. Um, ladies, thank you so much. You put a lot of effort into this. It was very, very well done. I know we kind of, at times we we're a little all over the place, but I don't think there's a way of not being all over the place when it comes to this subject. So um, if you don't know who Indrid Cold is, put a little work in um it's a very very interesting little <laughs> uh, very interesting character from the ufo and mothman i don't even know what you'd call it the 
genre yeah. era genre era the uh, i mean it's it, it, a figure that's deeply seated in the culture of um the mysteries of ufos um, but really well done really enjoyed it thank you guys so Happy much for being buddy. here sheila emily jj rose it's always a pleasure thank you so much for being with me thank you and happy birthday buddy thank you well that's it for tonight's show I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ms. JJ Rose 777 the lovely Emily and the wonderful Sheila they put a lot of work into this folks and endless hours of reading taking notes I've not heard this perspective before many thanks to these ladies I'm sure it will not be the last time you hear from them don't forget head over to patreon.com see if anything there agrees with you again make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram both at uncomfortable podcast 65 If you've had a story or an experience and you want to have it aired on this show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to share the show any way you can. That's what grows a podcast like this. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family, coworkers. It's the main thing you can do to help continue to grow this show and get it out in front of more people that are going to love what we're doing. Thanks for joining me, and I will see you next week. As always, stay uncomfortable, my friends.